I'm gonna trick former guest Ben into making us a theme song. That's it. Okay. Better, closer, warmer. Uh, all modern art is communistic. I want to be the first man to nut in space. Fuck you. Fuck off. Where are we finding it? Why can't we Better, find it? Closer, Why do you guys warmer. keep saying all this change? We're playing Fortnite. Let's have fun. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where Better, closer, no one in the warmer. world is going to Twitch and typing in climate first. Don't tweet us about how our stuff's inaccurate. At this point, I don't think the N-word tape would change anything. The piss tape might. From New Orleans to New York. It's the Alineos Podcast, baby. Dude, that was TNT. Welcome back to the Illennials Podcast. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. We are here with you live for our first ever call-in show uh, on August yes. 31st. Yes. We are recording this live. And you call this us in next week right and we'll answer your calls the week ahead of now. The, na- the week after, yeah. Right, that's yeah. How you. That's how you milk the content. You're just like, all right. You space it out over three weeks to get one thing uh-huh. done. Is that is the David Cross the uh, the pre-taped call-in show uh, sketch? Yeah. <laughs> the, yes, the topic for exactly. this week is dogs or whatever, and next week's topic is hair. It's different. That's the that's exactly. our that's our thing we're gonna do. Um. So we've had ourselves a little bit of a tumultuous week, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll... Almost every week seems that way. It's like, like I, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. It's like sometimes it seems like nothing is happening for like two weeks, and then it seems like everything is happening. Like it, I don't know. It's, and it, in the same two weeks, it just seems like so much stuff stays the same, and so much stuff just goes out of whack. It's really the strange time we're living in. Yeah, it, like so much stuff is happening, but also it feels like nothing is happening at the same time because. It's just events that are so disconnected from our lives. Like I said, did you know that our that the 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 American tech industry, the stock market for the tech industry, is now bigger than the European stock market entirely. Really? Just our nine big tech sector stocks are bigger than the entire European stock market. Wow. I mean, Apple is the most insanely uh, apparently profitable company in history. Tesla is now evaluated at more than a million dollars per car sold. Huh. Tesla's market cap is twice that of GMC. Yeah, I've heard that they, like, within the last year or so, have just... I don't understand stocks at all, but they, they valued it so much money. Not even the last year, dude. Like, within the last month, Tesla's stock has, like, doubled and tripled in, in value. For no reason. No, Absolutely no reason. Why is a company that makes less than like 20,000 cars a year valued more than fucking Ford, which makes, you know, millions of cars a year? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know, I smell some, I mean, it's, it's a problem, you're talking about tech industry, like we talked about it before, the problem is the, the whole value thing, because, once again, for all we know, Tesla's worth zero dollars, but because... They people tell you it's worth so much money, and because we talk, we we're talking about Tesla right now. People talk about Tesla. People who, you know, aren't even thinking about buying a car talk about Tesla because it's just something to talk about. And because of that, because of all that word of mouth, and because of all that value that it gets from being the electric car to go to the future car, 
people talk about it, and now it's worth more money. That's how all these companies are. Well, it's like GMC, within 18 months, is only lining up to start producing the first mass-market electric trucks. Yeah. And who do you trust more, GMC or some fucking company you never heard of? Like, I'm no big like proponent of GMC or anything for whatever reason, but if you got to pick a horse to bet on, you pick on the one that already has the fucking factory. Yeah, but... I mean... Love him or hate him, I hate him, but Elon Musk, he, he, I mean, he really does have pull um, with the with the populace, I th- and it's it works. Well, fuckers think he's Tony fucking Stark. They do. People literally treat him as if he's an actual real-life Tony Stark. You see, today he revealed his whole, like, brain-machine interface idea, the Neuralink. Is that, like, from uh, Silicon Valley when they talk about the, the headphones that control your phone with your mind? It is. It's like a fucking. He's got. He's got. It's all in pigs. A fucking port, basically, that can interface between the pig's brain and a computer. And he's talking about how one day you'll be able to like save your memories and play them back and show like goddamn Black Mirror episode. Or like uh, Strange Days. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking great movie. Fantastic film. It's so funny, though, because cyberpunk as a genre has made me want to be able to shove bits of metal in my body to solve my problems, but has also engineered a situation where I would never in a million years trust any companies capable of doing that to, to do it for me. Like, hell no. <laughs> exactly. I think the thing people miss out on when they talk about, like, cyberpunk uh, fiction and, like, aesthetic and stuff is that the whole, the whole idea behind Cyberpunk is there are going to be these mega corporations that are going to literally ruin your life. And you have to become a punk, basically, or some kind of, you know, anarchist yeah. in order to, you know, fight back against them. People think, oh no, people are like, oh no, I'm going to have my cool Cyberpunk Tesla RGB car. And I'm like, you're not... Somebody else will, and they're going to use it to, you know, run over you and your family when you're all homeless. Um, and, that, and that's why you have to rebel. And that's, that, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. People miss that a lot. People, people really miss that the thing that makes cyberpunk is capitalism. Yeah. And just because cyberpunk looks cool doesn't mean it is cool. It is a terrible uh, fate for us to, to reach, reach out at. Like, in a William Gibson novel, or in fucking Shadowrun, Elon Musk is the villain. You're trying to, to beat him. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. He's not the good guy. Um, yeah, because once again, the... I mean, I know it's all fiction, but Marvel and those kind of things, something, something like Tony Stark is heavily optimistic. It is, you know... Um, I mean, he's still... Te- I mean... Tony Stark's still technically a bad guy by a lot of means, but he's the rich good guy. He does he does a lot of what would be objective good with a lot of objective bad for, you know, astute readers. Um, but yeah, and stuff like William Gibson's novels and in other like more cyberpunk, more dystopian stuff, you see what is real. Like you see it every day. Like a lot of these billionaires like Bezos and Musk, they are more like the, you know, Gibson style of uh, fiction rather than the Marvel kind. Yeah. If, I if, honestly if think Elon Musk got fucking stranded in the Middle East in a fucking hole, he would not be able to make a fucking metal suit because, to get himself out. Because he's not a, a scientist or an inventor. He's a businessman. Tony exactly, Stark was exactly. an engineer, right? Like, he understood it. Yeah. Tony, he's just, all Elon Musk did is make PayPal. 
Like, and, and not even that, he invested yeah. in it. Like, with his parents' fucking diamond or jewel money. Like, it's not this. It's not the same thing. I yeah. do think the idea of Tony Stark, though, like, in popular fiction has been toxic overall to us as a culture because we're like... Yeah, I definitely do. Maybe not the heroic billionaire, but the, the billionaire who saves the world, right? Like, love him or hate him, he's a character with flaws and foibles, but that's not the point. He, he's still a rich guy who saves the world, and that's what we're trying to do. Not in real life. Exactly. It's the whole fucking the Stephen Colbert thing we talked about last week, where it's like, all these all these Dems aren't your heroes. All these billionaires are not your heroes. Uh, we, people, people can save each other if we work together, but, you know, we don't. Like, if the fucking hole opened up in the sky over New York City and the aliens were coming through, Jeff Bezos would try to make a deal with them to sell them Amazon services. Yeah. Or he would fucking hop in his private spaceship that he already has. It's going to fly him straight to Venus where he already has a house. Right, yeah. Okay? (laughs) So, you know, fuck them. It's just insane, dude. But... Uh, yeah, so stock market is completely decoupled from reality now. The stocks are just shooting up, up, up. There's no, there's no reason for it. The real economy is not recovered, and it's, it's, it's a bubble. It's a huge bubble, and it's gonna pop. And when it does, who's gonna lift hold the bag? It'll be people like you and me. Exactly. Um. Yeah, it's it's really strange to see, especially after we we talked about it last week. How after we've throughout this pandemic, we've exposed. The problem with capitalism, we've exposed even more police injustice. We've, ex- uh, we've, in my mind, we've exposed why both the Dems and the Republicans aren't going to do any good for us, and yet we just we we just keep chugging along. And it's like, well, have this um, election. And the weird thing is, and I, t- I talked about it before, so many people who I respect, like comedians and you know hosts of other podcasts, I'm a big fan of, like podcasts I, I live and die by you know comedians I love they are out here and they're just talking about they're like you know you gotta, you gotta vote for Joe Biden because he's better right like I saw one person that was like yeah the president isn't gonna the changing president isn't gonna stop racism but it's gonna make people feel a lot less comfortable being racist and I feel like that's the opposite I feel like if Joe Biden's president people are gonna be even more comfortable being racist do you think that the racists got more uncomfortable under Obama is that what they think no no they did not they got more open and virulent with their hate yeah and at the Trump I mean you know it just gets amplified it's, it's not that the president is changing at all it's just that time is changing it and like more and more people are gonna express their views and express who they truly are and what like we kind of discussed before we're gonna have to in some way or another sort those people out yeah i don't know hey i'm there's a lot of methods you've discussed one but i don't know those people, whenever we actually make real change in this country or in this world or on, on any level, those people are really going to have to be dealt with. Yeah. And let's be real here. They could win, and we will definitely get sorted out in that scenario. Believe you me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it'll be nothing. It's like, I remember a, like a couple of years ago, back when it was like the big thing, me and you watched uh, The Handmaid's Tale, the show on Hulu, about, you know, based on a very famous book. Um, and I was just like, man, this would, I'm like, this is cool fiction, all, but this would never happen. And you were like, I don't know about that. And the more, the more that's happened since that day, I'm like, you might be right. 
like honestly, if 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 an, if something like that show, if some kind of um, I don't even know the word event like that were to happen in the show, and the people who are in charge now are still in charge, I don't. I don't see why that wouldn't happen. Yeah, some kind of like crazy right wing religious group killed the president and Congress and you know seized power. I can see it turned into fucking Gilead for sure. Like <laughs> it could possibly could happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, like I said, the more I live, the more I'm like, yeah, that's not. It's not far off. Never fucking say never, dude. Like fascism. I, what I'm learning now is is even under the mask of liberals, beats the heart of soon to be fascists like yeah give them a, give them an excuse give them a reason like all these liberals you see now like joe biden today or maybe early maybe yesterday was saying how like he has no soft spot for rioters and he's like like looting is not is not protesting and uh, brutality is not protesting do you I mean do you think that's any different from trump that's exactly what trump is saying yeah i mean it's 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 honestly weird how just, I mean, honestly, just because he's one, not Trump, and two, was Obama's vice president, people are just acting like Joe Biden isn't saying anything as he is, and that he's going to bring about any kind of real change. And I just want to sit this out, and I'll be like, what change besides our president not being Donald Trump is Joe Biden going to bring? What's he gonna, yeah, what's he going to change? What what change? What is Kamala Harris going to do to better the racial injustice and police brutality? In this country. Please tell me. Yeah. I want to know. They have no solutions for this. And that's because they don't want to have solutions. They don't think anything's wrong. Kamala Harris was the one who instigated the program to Trump to like charge the parents of truant children with a crime. Those truant children's parents are overwhelmingly going to be black, low-income people. So she's targeting black people with this. Like, she did not give a fuck. Like, she is not some proponent of racial equality and justice. She is another fucking opportunist, a careerist, who will sell anybody out to get where she wants yeah. to go. Exactly. She's just a person who, I mean, I mean, be it in politics, be it economically, just like we are in this country, she's a person who knows what to do now and knows what people want. That's the problem we keep talking about with stuff like like capitalism. Like, there's so many people out there who could make who even could still be fabulously wealthy, but could make good decisions that would put us in a better spot and actually keep us more complacent. Right. But they decide not to because they need to make money right now. And people in, in politics, people don't want to think ahead. They want to say, "Oh, what are people going to vote for right now?" And also, it doesn't even matter because I can change my opinion whenever I want while I'm in office. Because that'll be what's in right then. And what what you say when you run doesn't matter at all. Capitalism has completely, has never cared about the long term. But especially now, only cares about short term gains. And in a world where, the, where tomorrow will exist, when the future will come, you have to worry about the long term effects of your actions. And we're seeing it now with, with global warming and climate change. You cannot... Ignore the externalities of industrial society forever. They will catch up with you. And you and I and the generation after us are going to live through the worst ecological disaster since, I don't know, the fucking the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs hit. Like, it's going to be insane. Yeah. And because of because of the influence that the right wing and conservatives have, there's a even a 
a strong contingent of people, you know, millennials and Gen Zers who are also like, yeah, climate change, who cares? Like, that's never going to really happen. It's like my whole thing about Handmaid's Tale. Like, it'll never really happen, though. Like, we can all be scared about it, but it's never going to happen. And it's like, no, it's going to happen. And all these people who you look up to, they're all going to be dead. They're going to be fucking fine by regular standards. They're not going to be fucking burning to death and getting their, their flesh fucking burnt off by the sun, you know? I think a lot of people think, well, I'll be dead if that happens. I'll be out of here. Yeah, but when enough people think that and enough years go by, some of you won't be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some of you will definitely be here. You'll be in your prime. The effects of climate change are coming faster than, than anybody ever anticipated. And do you know where the global hotspot will be, really, Seth, for this? Where we'll probably really kick off? Where? The Indian subcontinent is where shit's going to get real fucking bad real fucking fast. Yeah. Because this year, nine major Indian cities are out of water. Their aquifers are drained. So they're now pulling from agricultural areas around the cities. And I'll also say them for a while. But by 2030, 40% of India will not have enough fresh water to survive. That's that's And temperatures will good. be rising. And you know what it happens then? Who's our neighbor to the north uh, northwest? Pakistan. And what do those two countries hate? They hate the shit out of one another, and they both have nuclear weapons. And most of India's water comes from a river that runs through fucking Pakistan. At some point, it will kick off in the Indian subcontinent. I don't know what the fuck will happen after that. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. And that's just a, that's just one place where around the world, we're going to start seeing resource wars. Sub-Saharan Africa, up in the fucking uh, the, the Middle East especially, uh, Latin America, South America, even here in North America... It's going to get hot. Yeah. In more ways than one. <laughs> and we're not going to know what to do about it. So, Seth, I wanted to talk to you real quick about something that you're interested in, which is the NBA. Yes. The National Basketball Association. So last week there was some, some shit that got kicked up after... Uh, after I know that Jacob Blake had uh, a, a big effect on this, but it was after that kid... Jacob Rittenhouse, I think his name was, uh, when he shot those two protesters and wasn't arrested, um, that was when it kicked off. What happened there, Seth? Yeah, so, um, and what was a pretty historic move for, you know, a short period of time, the a lot of the NBA players um, and teams who are currently in the NBA bubble, they call it, um, the teams who have been, you know, Sent off to Orlando to uh, play basketball um, during COVID. Um, they, including some of the bigger teams like the Bucks with their star Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, Lakers with obviously LeBron James and the Clippers with um, people like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, um, all decided that they were done. They were like, the too too much has gone on. You know, all of them have fucking. Um, peace, equality, Black Lives Matter, all the stuff on their jerseys. They have Breonna Taylor on their shoes, George Floyd, you know, posters everywhere. And they're like, you know what, this is enough. We, you know, we are, um, uh, we've been a beacon for not only um, black people in America, but a lot of people in America um, to kind of, you know, have a, a, a positive effect um, and a positive change on the community. And they're like, we don't want to play basketball while this is going on. And that really shocked the NBA owners and managers, you know, a lot of people who are um, very rich people, 
Um, it is, it's not cheap to own an NBA team. It is one of those expensive things a person can do. Um, so these are, you know, rich guys with, you know, connections. And they decided, they were like, yeah, we're not going to play. And it shocked them. They were like, they, they canceled games for two days. Um, two, two days of playoffs games were canceled, um, which, I mean, they had to get rescheduled again. The, the fucking NBA scheduling has been off the fucking charts this year, especially. Um, so they did that. And a lot of players were like, let's just cancel the season, including LeBron James, who was the biggest proponent of continuing the season during COVID. Um, and all within a day was like, I'm done, which is big. Because, like I said, LeBron really pushed for this bubble thing to happen. And I was considered to be one of the, the guiding voices of it all going down. And a lot of capital was invested in this thing happening. And he was like, yeah, I'm done. The Bucks, they they threatened to just completely leave uh, the the bubble and just go back home and forfeit their games, um, but none of that happened um, in the end because for whatever reason, whoever you know put the put the hammer down, they still had to play basketball. And I think it was an interesting moment because it showed very very briefly how workers as a collective, laborers as a collective, have power. And because the NBA, even though its viewership is down right now with the bubble, um, is huge. And the people who are in it are very influential people. Like, they might not all have influence in politics, like the owners, but people like, you know, LeBron James and all these people, they have, they have a lot of power. People listen to them. People look up to them. Um, so there was a moment there where I was like, wow, what if they actually stop the season? Um, that would be crazy. But then also, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm like, well, even though I don't want to play devil's advocate, I'm like, what are the owners supposed to do? Let's say they're like, you know what? We're going to stop playing basketball until you guys go fix racism real quick. And it's like, yeah, that would be great. But it's not like it it can happen in a day. And at that point, the only, only solution is to completely stop play everyone stop playing basketball professionally until racism is solved whenever whatever that whatever that day would end, whatever we we mark that on the calendar is okay it's over um so i think that that fact the fact that there wasn't like this is what we want like we want this exact thing even though all the players have merch that says arrest the cops that killed brianna taylor um that would have been a good goal but they didn't have a clear goal. And also, I don't think at overall they had the collective bargaining. Because in the end, when they all when the, when the, there was a vote held, the majority of the league did say, let's continue the season. And a lot of that has to do... I mean, and some people like, like me, I'm sitting here like, I understand that some of these like third stringers on the Utah Jazz aren't extravagantly wealthy like LeBron James but I know for a fact they can all hold themselves over for a while like you still probably have about a hundred to two hundred thousand in the bank like you're fine um but a lot of them you know they don't have the they haven't amassed the wealth people like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard have so they were like I gotta keep playing and so I think that kind of that mentality went over as well as the lack of direction of what they were trying to achieve. So since then, um, like two days later, two, two days after this happened, um, the games continued. Well, Seth, would you be surprised to learn there is a villain in all this? There is someone 
who caused it to end early. Would it surprise you to know there is an actual figure you can point to to blame for how quickly it was it was ended? No. LeBron James went to a mentor, uh, someone uh-huh. to speak with, with with these concerns, to figure out what he should do. And do you want to guess that mentor's name? Because everyone in the fucking world knows his name. Of uh, uh, Tom Brady. Barack Hussein Super Allah Obama. <laughs> the Barack the Islamic shot. He told LeBron James that they should continue playing and come up with a plan in the meantime. That was his advice. Yeah, Obama. It'd be funny if, like, in the background, Obama was like, Michelle, I just want to keep watching basketball. I have nothing to do right now. I, I honestly just want to keep watching games. I have no idea what those boys should do. Listen, be. if the Bucks aren't playing, what um, am I going to do in my life? Yeah, well, honestly, I have, I have nothing to look forward to if it's, it's not for that. It's because, over. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, did, I actually didn't. I mean, I heard that he had spoken with um, Obama. I heard that a couple of players tried to, tried to reach out. Um, I didn't know that that was uh, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, but that's that's interesting because it seems like Obama has his fingers in so many pies these days. By my count, Obama's gotten off his ass two times since he was uh, uh, no longer president to do things, and that was to make sure Bernie Sanders didn't win the Democratic nomination by consolidating all support behind Joe Biden and stopping the NFL uh, or NBA work stoppage early. Yeah. So really, it's just like he's bad. He's he's over two on things to help the working class. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, there was a moment there where I was like, "Wow, this is um, this is gonna be big." I mean, this this NBA season's already been very big um, for a lot of reasons. Um, the players aren't like being quiet. Like uh, just uh, two nights ago. Uh, Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets scored 50 points in a, in a game, forced a game seven, and um, was wearing shoes, one that had George Floyd on it, one that had Breonna Taylor, and did an interview where he was just out of breath, and he's like, I don't know what to say anymore. He's like, I this too much is going on. We got to do something about it and arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. And it was, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think if any... Uh, sports league is going to get anything done it'll be the nba because the nfl seems completely a- adverse to any kind of change or any kind of um i don't know actual social reform uh, they seem very content and yeah so i think this is i think this is big and i hope that i hope maybe it made some people think about what's going on in a different way yeah also i want to point out to you listening that uh it, Athletes, you know, NBA players and whatnot, they are they are workers. They sell their labor to to a, a business owner. They they produce profits. Yeah, they, they they are the working class. They may be highly paid working class in a lot of cases, but salary is not commensurate yeah. with your class. Like a person could be a millionaire and still be working class. You know, you could be a very rich, well paid actor or like programmer or something like that and you're still but you're still working for somebody else you don't own the means of production you don't, you don't yeah. own your own labor's product exactly and it's and it, once again it goes, it's like like you said they are laborers and the only reason that their labor is you know worth however many million dollars per year per contract is just because because of the way it's seen i mean i mean if 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 janitors were seen as multi-million dollar contracts, they'd be the ones who are, who are getting that. It's 
It's honestly just because the market dictates it. Just like with the tech industry, we just look at what what oh what do we think the value of this is? Like I talked about how owning an NBA team is so you know expensive, or owning a stadium or whatever. It's like all that stuff is just perceived value. Like the New York Knicks are worth two point five billion dollars. That's just because we see it that way. It's just because we've decided that the assets and the market share and the fucking stadium and all that is worth so much money. But like I said, it could it could be any industry. Anybody could yeah. be could be seen that way. And a lot of the times, you know, athletes especially um, are seen as like a product. They're seen as you know, I want this guy on my team. I want to own. Like it's crazy to like right. to uh, talk about how owning an NBA team is. It's like why why are there owners? You know, why does they have to own the team? Why can't a team just be a collective of people? You know, that's what that's what it should be. So. It, yeah, it's it's really weird to think about, but yeah, they they are laborers, and yeah, some of them, you know, they make a hundred million dollars off of a contract, but that's just how much we've decided they're worth. And and all of that value comes from the workers, because yes, the New York Knicks are freaking worth two point five billion dollars, but that's because ticket sales, merchandising, you know, deals with like promotions and stuff, and none of that exists without the players. The personalities come with them in some cases, but the skills especially are the big thing. Skills and personality are two big things, yeah. and that all comes from the players. Without low players, you don't have a goddamn team, you don't have a franchise, you don't have any money. So the players, again, are the source, like the workers are the source of all value. Yeah, and also I, I honestly believe that um, stuff like basketball and certain other sports are the only way that we will ever see a rags to riches story again. Because we and you kind of talked about it in private the other day. Nepotism and, like, generational wealth is all over the place. Like, if you see, like I said, I, I find it almost impossible to find someone in Hollywood who isn't related to someone else. Whether it be another actor, a producer, a director, a fucking studio person. In mm-hmm. some way, they're all fucking connected. And it is, it's weird. Like, I, I did this exercise the other day where I was like, let me Wikipedia a bunch of people who I respect and all this. And I'm like, and I still respect the people. I don't, I'm not, it's not all their fault for nepotism. But it's like, yeah, they're all fucking connected somehow. It's crazy. And the same thing happens. We talk about it with doctors. Like, the only people yeah. who can afford to go to medical school are people who are, are, whose parents are already doctors. People who can go to law school are people who are already lawyers. It's like, you, you, don't have, you don't have many stories now of somebody honestly going from lower class to upper class anymore. It's, it, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I will say for folks out there, if you want to continue to respect the actor uh, Nick Kroll, uh, never look up what his father does or how he got uh, into showbiz, because <laughs> yeah. that'll that'll change you. He um, has shit taught his parents in the past, though. I think he's I think he's kind of um, once again he can't change that he got all that well, all the money from them, but you know I guess you can talk about. Also, I've seen bags. some clips from that show, uh, Big Mouth. And I'm pretty sure that's like a yeah. Jeffrey Epstein-funded uh, operation at the very minimum because there's some real heavy pedophilia in that fucking show. Yeah. it's a, I don't know. I like it. It's a pretty funny show. I think that a lot of the comedians on it are very funny. But that's because I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-20s and I find a lot of the jokes funny. When I, when I sit back and think about how it's a bunch of children, I'm like... What this this could be teenagers, this could be high schoolers, this could be fucking college kids. Why don't we have to do it right here? So it's really it's really weird, but 
I guess I'm glad those people get work. So. I do want to say one thing real fast, just a real small, for people out there, I'm sure this is basic for everybody, but if anybody that doesn't know, Marxism 101, real quick, all value is created by labor. It doesn't matter what it is. Because think about this, right? You can say, you could be Jeffrey Wright, the actor, and you could own yourself a little gold mine over there in Africa, but having gold in the ground it's worthless. There's no value to gold underground. The value is derived from the fact that miners will go down there and retrieve that gold and bring it up out of the ground. That is how. What's what, that's what makes gold valuable. You can sell a gold mine to someone, yeah. but they don't give a shit about the actual gold in the ground as is. They give a shit about having access to it so that laborers can then go in and get it. It's like everything in the world is derived from somebody yes. doing work upon something else, in investing labor power in it. And the only thing I think really that doesn't have yeah. this paradigm is the finance industry. Because no labor is being put into that other than, I guess, probably guys typing on keyboards somewhere is occurring. But it's not like programming where it's severe labor. You're moving numbers around. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have a really hard time grasping my head around what certain people do. Like, I really think about it sometimes. I'm just like, whether it be in you know, the industry I've worked in or something, I'm just like, what does this person do all day? And why is it that my job is so much harder than theirs and we probably get paid the same thing? Like, why is it, why is it like that? Um, yeah, what is your job exactly? Why do you get paid uh, 5,000 times more than your lowest paid employee? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, it seems that there's like a point. Like I've, I've learned this working in like corporate world. There's a point in your life where you become so senior and whatever job it is, you become so senior that your job is to go to meetings all day. Like, any person who's, like, higher up or, like, you know, in, in my company, whoever I've talked to, they're, like, they are literally in a meeting from, like, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Some kind of meeting. Several meetings, one meeting, it doesn't matter. They're in a meeting. And I'm, like, okay, when do they work then? Like, is the meeting the work? Is that the work? So I have no, I really have no idea. I, I, I find it so hilarious that there's mostly people who are just in a meeting all the time. I'm, like, okay, cool, I guess. Yeah. And I think meetings meetings can be worked. There's important things that have to be discussed in a meeting. But there is a certain class of person within an organization of any kind of bureaucracy or hierarchy, like you're talking about, where what exactly it is that you do? Do you just, like, go to the meeting and tell us what happened in the meeting? Like, I don't understand. Is that what's going on here? Yeah. And also, Seth, can you imagine a, a, a worse hell than li and all you do is go to meetings all day? But some people eat that shit up. They do. Some people are like, I fucking love this. This is this is me. I would kill myself. If my job was to sit in meetings all day, it. I would just eat a bullet. Yeah. And then I have a problem where I have meetings with those kind of people who are like have meetings all day and they'll have a meeting with me for like half the day. So I only get to work half the other half the day. And then the next day they're like, Oh, why didn't you get all this work done? I'm like, I had a meeting. What do you mean? I don't know. Like, when am I supposed to do this? You had actual work to be doing and they were taking your time up with this. Exactly. So I'm just like, hey, I'll get it done. I just, I can't mean to do it while I'm in a meeting. Right. And, yeah, and it's, there's a definite problem, I think, with middle management, especially just being way too much management in general, you know? 
Like, yeah. how many managers do you need per worker? Also, we were speaking about nepotism earlier and people who have, like, crazy wealth. You know the actress Ellie Kemper, who's, like, on The Office, like, that plays yeah. Aaron on The Office? Have you heard about... The dry blowjob girl. Have you... The what? The dry blowjob girl. Oh, yeah. Do you know about where her wealth comes from? No. Her granddad, like, invented banking. What? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember what exactly it was, but her granddad was, like, one of the richest bankers to ever exist, like, and started all these, like, companies and, like, invented credit cards or some shit or something. So they're, like, a, they're like she's, like, a billionaire. Like, her family is really, literally worth billions of dollars. So kind of like Julia Lee's Dreyfus? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, like, I, I learned that. I'm like... Why? Why do these people get to be famous? And these are both, those are both actors that I think are good. Yeah. I like both of them. But I wonder, sometimes I wonder, how many, this, this applies across every industry that exists. How many yeah. people who are very good at this thing got passed over because they didn't have the money to get their name in front of somebody? Yeah. Or, you know, when they were younger or even now don't have money to continually get trained. Yeah. Because like all these big like you know actors and musicians, they still have some kind of coach or somebody behind them is probably paid you know hundreds thousands of dollars as well just to sit behind them and do this stuff. And you know if you don't have access to that when you're young or as you develop, then you know you might not be as good as them even though you had the potential. Yeah, I mean, how many struggling actors really make it? You know. Yeah, like Julia Louis Dreyfus is a very incredible actress. I'm not going to take anything away from her talent. If you just watch her stuff, she is great, and she is one of the best comedic actresses there is. But I wonder how much of that came from just the fact that she had access to all all any kind of training. And if there's probably anybody in the industry she ever wanted to meet, she could probably yeah. meet them whenever she wanted. You know, it's like it. It you know you can't you can't you know not take that into account when you talk about these kind of people like uh, where they came from, their upbringing. And you know, how much access they had is very important to these conversations. Speaking of nepotism, Seth, we should talk about uh, one thing I really want to talk about this week, which is uh, this new Tom Clancy-themed mobile game, Elite Squad. Yeah, I've heard some interesting uh, tales from this game. So, <clears throat> in this game, you it's like an XCOM-alike type. Uh, tactical uh, uh, game, yeah. Uh, mobile, as I mentioned. So, yeah. but uh, in it, it's like. And remember, it's a Tom Clancy game, so normally they're very forward thinking. Yeah. So I, this is the, the what's been, you're about to hear is very surprising. In the trailer for the game, it talks about how unrest is spreading across the world, and due to poverty and war and plague, people are angry and pissed off. Okay. And okay. They got that. Yes. Tell me, Tom. But underneath all of that, there's a new organization taking power called Umbra. Okay. And okay, yeah. Okay, so it's like the New World Order or something, right? Umbra is this is this shadow organization that promises an egalitarian mm-hmm. utopia, you know, a better tomorrow. And they use the symbol of the black upraised fist you may have seen throughout history. Wait a minute. And they are and they are using these protests as cover to create more Uh-oh. chaos and sow more destruction. But you, sir, are a hard man. And you're gonna make hard decisions like recruiting cartel murderers to go kill these Umbra guys and and protesters in the process. We're going to talk about that. We're going to work with Sam Fisher and Sam Fisher's enemies and Sam Fisher's enemies' enemies. And you're going to fucking take back control of the streets from these crazy left-wing psychos. Yeah. And that's the game, Seth. They basically took an Alex Jones rant and made it into a game. 
And well, I went off on the trailer. I was like, okay. all right, yeah, I get it. Sure, like, great. But this seems like okay. Wait a minute, hold on. So the guys who fuck the world up are I'm defending them. That's what I'm supposed to do is defend the guys who fuck the world up. But okay, whatever, sure, fine. It's like BattleTech, right? I have to, I have to fucking defend a deposed queen. Yeah. Okay, sure, don't like it, but I'll move on. But then the fist symbol symbol comes up, and I'm like, that's a real thing, though. That's a real symbol that's been used throughout history for liberation movements, and, and yeah. not just Black Power, but all kinds of stuff. Anarchists, communists, syndicalists, everyone has used this fist to represent, you know, fighting back against power. Yeah, and the game basically pushes this incredibly false narrative that a lot of conservatives live by of Antifa and the socialists and the communists. They're all around me, and I am the minority. I am being subjected to their will, when in reality that's not how it is at all. The majority is very heavily right-wing or undecided, which is basically right-wing in my opinion. Um, And yeah, it's not like... Antifa or any is like these underground operations are out here sowing discord. No, the discord comes from capitalism and from injustice and from fucking the right wing. It's basically George Soros is funding, you know, Antifa and BLM. Exactly. Well, so yeah. the director of the game has apologized. They'll be removing the fist sim- symbol from the game. That doesn't change the underlying problems of what's going on, but whatever. Yeah, you still said what you said. Like you can't, you can't take that away. And the game is still going to be about recruiting, you know, crazy psychopaths to kill, you know, left wingers in the streets. Uh, but the guy who directs the game is named uh, Charlie. Oh man, this is French. Gimot, Gimot, maybe. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because his father is Ives Gimot, the CEO of Ubisoft. Yeah. Charlie Gamow graduated university in 2014 and became studio manager in 2014. Yeah. Which is a recipe for disaster. I've actually been watching a lot of like documentaries about video game development lately from No Clip on YouTube if anyone's interested. And the, the one thing I've learned is like that is a position you have to earn. Like you being a director or um, head of any team or anything, especially in game development is like so fucking important and so based on experience. This person probably got a fucking, maybe he has a master's, I don't know, probably got a fucking bachelor's degree and then is in charge of studio. Like, what what in the goddamn hell is that? Can you imagine being a guy who works on video games professionally? He's probably doing it for 10, 15 years. And then some guy with the yeah. same last name as the CEO is your boss and he just graduated this year. Yeah, he has no jack shit about game development. Can you imagine how yeah, pissed sure. you'd be? Yeah, that's. I mean, the same thing happens in all industries. It happens in fucking you know, corporations, banking, all that stuff. It's just like this. This this real wonderkin just rises through the ranks real real fast, and you realize it's just because their fucking dad owns the place. It's fucking insane to me, dude. This, this is what's happening. But because there's yeah. thing, Ubisoft and and Tom Clancy games are already right wing propaganda shit. There's no de- denying it. Even though it can sometimes be weird, like how in the Division Two, you're like a member of a crazy paramilitary group to defend the, the country, but the country falls apart. So you're pretty much just saving anarchist communes. It's a very weird thing. But this just was like completely over the line in terms of let's yeah. just go ahead and say that BLM are funded by George Soros and are good to try to over the government. Yeah. And um, it's great because we, along with that, we had 
no shortage of massive video game franchises releasing awful trailers because Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. By the way, Cold War. No, no, no. It's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Which, by the way, too many words. Cut out Black Ops. Just call it Cold War. Yeah. Um, is a game about how fucking cool Ronald Reagan was, and it is incredible to me that we are still idolizing this man. This game is actually happening. When that frankly ghoulish CI and CGI Ronald Reagan walked onto the screen, I gasped. I couldn't believe it. With like like a 90 cent comedian impression of him. Right. It's so fucking bad. It was like in fucking, uh, what is it, um... The Star Wars Rogue One, when that horrible-looking Tarkin shows up. Oh. And the Leia, which was also very questionable, just... Again, I was like, oh my god, what are you doing? Yeah, um... But yeah, I mean, once again, we talked about how, you know, Tom Clancy is not very forward-thinking, and Call of Duty never has been either, even though they make games about literally about the future. Um... Yeah, the Cold Cold War is just more propaganda. Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous. I like the story of this game is that you are fighting a Soviet spy named Perseus, who is apparently so fucking good at his job that he's evaded capture for 30 years and has almost destroyed the world twice. Listen, Perseus, if you have destroyed the world the first two times, maybe it's time to give up, my friend. Yeah, destroying the world, it's, it's already hard enough. So, doing it a third time. But then again, I say third time's a charm. Yeah. So, and you never know. His second plot was to use the Viet Cong to, 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 like, steal a nuclear warhead for the Soviet Union. They already had them! They don't... Why would they do this? Yeah. yeah but, it's... It was... I was... I was thrown aback by that trailer. How, sure. about, how about the main character of the game, I assume, the blonde guy, who just literally is Robert Redford? He just looks just like Robert Redford. Yeah, he looks like Robert Redford mixed with, like, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Brad Pitt. That's right. That's what they look like. They have that exact fucking look. And, I don't know. I'm I'm surprised. I mean, once again, I don't expect much from Call of Duty, but, I don't know. Somebody, I mean, that's the thing about in video games, it's really hard to get a game like Disco Elysium out there because... Um, you know, so the, the ideology behind it to a lot of people is so esoteric and so you know, idealist. Um, which is oh, what's the problem with being? Yeah. What's the problem with thinking things can be ideal? You know, so if you're like, oh, you're too optimistic, you're too idealist. What's the problem with that? Um, but yeah, games like Disco Elysium, you know, they'll never have a, we'll never have a Call of Duty level Disco Elysium game, at least not for a very long time. Because those kind of games, people don't like those kind of games. And because the game industry is held up by so many studios who are part of this, these tech giants who get all this money and once again have to make shareholders happy right now. And what people like right now, they like nostalgia about the fucking Cold War and about how cool America is. And that's what Call of Duty's done since fucking day one. Well, the thing is, is that, I don't know, man, like Call of Duty's had so many crazy. It has no coherent ideology. It's just weird mixtures of all kinds of shit. No. Like in, like in, like in Modern Warfare no. 2, when the, inter- the enemy was a Marine general who wanted to get revenge for his boys being killed in Nadaran. 
or in blops where you literally just play throughout the, the greatest hits of the CIA fucking up things across the world. Like, you're, you're involved in the Bay of Pigs and the failed assassination attempt on, on Castro. You killed JFK in that game. And I'm like, I was playing it. I was like, whoa, they're really fucking... They're giving it to the CIA here. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm a participant, but they're, like, saying this shit happened, which we don't talk about in America. And now it's like, no, dude, Ronald Reagan was actually super cool and a great guy, and you're going to love working for him. Yeah, it's it's weird. They have... Yeah, like, like I said, I mean, I'm not saying they've never made a message. You know, there's that that famous one where um, you, like, gun down a bunch of fucking innocent people and you're supposed to, like, feel bad about it afterwards. No Russian, yeah. Yeah, no no Russian. Um, <laughs> press F to pay respects. One of, the, one of the best memes of all time comes from those stupid fucking games. And, yeah. Press F to sell missiles to Iran. Exactly. And, yeah, they, they somehow make... A statement without making any statement at all. They, they've done it pretty consistently. And what really gets me, by the way, is that uh, Modern Warfare 1, I think, contains one of the most amazing sequences in video games Noah talks about, which is when you are escaping from not Iran and the nuclear bomb goes off and your character crashes in a helicopter and then you crawl out of the wreckage looking at the mushroom cloud and you die of fucking radiation poisoning. And it's like, this is a truly great war is hell moment. Like, why couldn't the game be more about this and less about, like, rah-rah America, you know? Yeah. I think the only mid-to-big-budget game to ever expose the atrocities of war and keep a pretty consistent message throughout is Spec Ops The Line. Um, And playing that game, I was shocked that it got made yeah people people kept telling me for years before like this game really does stuff to you and it tells you the horrors of war and i'm like there's just no way that a game with that kind of budget did it and they for 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 what it's worth they did they 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 really stuck it to you now of course at the end of the day you're still a soldier and you still get to go around killing people and you know flashing your gun around and all this and for a lot of people who aren't even paying attention to the fucking story it probably was just a cool fucking war game but for those of us that did pay attention and know about especially one big moment in the game um you know why it's all so fucked up and i was it's one of those games that really surprises me that it exists every time i think about it i'm like how did that happen it does a pretty good job of making you feel bad about participating in these events it uh, there is some people who say nowadays that it still forces you to take to take part in it, yes, to progress the story. There's no choice involved. It makes you feel bad when you had no choice, kind of like Bioshock does. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, but that's just emulating the character's experience. Like, he had no choice. Like, he had to do these things. He was not in full control of his own, you know, self. Because he's, he's... Yeah, and also didn't know all the consequences right. at the time. There's a, there's a really good moment in that game where you do something that you don't know the full consequences of, and then when you, you literally have to walk through and see the consequences of what you did, it makes it is a very, in my opinion, a very good game. Probably one of the few games you could reasonably reasonably classify as anti-war. Um, I can't remember which director it was yeah. that said that you can't make an anti-war movie that includes a war, and he's probably mostly right. Um, except for Come and See, that's probably the one movie you can, you can actually watch that is anti-war, uh, that includes a war, but, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I was just about to bring up that quote, and I, I'll, I think about that quote so much, and I'm like, I don't know, do, I mean, maybe it's, I mean, once again, it's because me 
personally, I feel this way about the war, but I don't know, man. Full Metal Jacket really makes me think that, you know, like it really is anti-war to me, and it, it makes the war. But then again, I can also, I guess I can see how if I wasn't the person I am, I could watch that movie and at least for the second half be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool, I guess. So I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to tell around your personal bias what, what a piece of work is trying to say overall and what it's going to do to other people. Well, it's like somebody once said, uh, I can't remember what it was, uh, about 300. They said, this is actually a satire. This is yeah. this is uh, Zack Snyder satirizing the, the whole war thing or whatever. But I still saw that movie with a guy who was Army Rangers, and he walked out of the theater, and he said he couldn't wait to go back to Iraq and kill some Hajis after watching that movie. Wow. That's a direct quote. Can we, can we have so, him on the podcast? <laughs> no, please, God. Um, so, I, I, you could do the best you can, right? You could, you could try your best, but somebody will always take away. They'll, they'll, they'll miss the message and say, oh, cool gunfight, you know, or great blood effects or yeah. something. Come and see, though. But satires, yeah. yeah. Satires hard yeah. to do anyway, especially with general audiences. Like, a lot of people, you know, there's an argument that I pretty much agree with that the movie Wolf of Wall Street is a satire. Um, people, Some people are just like, no, it just kind of glorifies all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I, there's some... Scorsese's doing stuff under all that to let yeah. you know that Jordan Belfort's not a cool guy. And that this isn't the, a real a lifestyle that a human should strive for. Um, but some people just look at it and they're like, I want to fucking throw... Uh, small people at a a target and do cocaine off of Margot Robbie's butt and I'm like okay I guess I, I guess that's what you got from it I can't remember which movie it was it's either Wolf of Wall Street or The Big Short one of those two I remember reading a criticism of it from the daughter of either Jordan Belfort or Mark Baum it was it was Jordan Belfort S S Wolf of Wall Street yeah and his daughter said that uh, her only criticism of the movie was that he, he didn't go far enough in showing how much of an asshole he was yeah and so that was, I mean, yeah, it's probably true. That dude probably was a huge fucking monster. Um, yeah, he still is. He's still alive. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Isn't he out now and doing, like, like self-help type shit? Yeah, he does, like, you know, those seminars where you pay $500 and you're a low-income person because you think you're going to be rich like him one day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I think satire is a hard, like Starship Troopers even, there. who watch that and oh. don't get that it's satire. And it's funny because these days when I watch that movie, when I was younger, I probably didn't get it. But these days when I watch that movie, I'm like, this is some of the heaviest satire. Like it is out, it is completely out there that this is a satire. Like, but I'm a hundred percent sure people don't get it. But the part where the guy, the guy, the recruiter is talking to him, and he's like, "The Marines made me the man I am today." And the camera pulls back, and you see he has no fucking legs and a mechanical arm. Yeah. How much more? I mean, you can't get any heavier than that. Yeah, and fucking, I mean, the, the, one of the very last scenes where they're all celebrating, and you got you got Neil Patrick Harris wearing the fucking like SS uniform. He it's walks like, out as a traitor. He's, he's the bad guy. He's got a fucking like, a, a black leather trench coat on, like goddamn Mengele. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy, but pe- people will literally just not not see it if they don't want to. And the, and the strongest indicator, by the way, that no one understood, that or that not only understood that Starship Troopers was a satire, is how many goddamn sequels there are to that fucking movie. Yeah, they completely missed the mark. Like, don't even... Yeah. And it, just don't even get it. And they don't understand what Verhoeven was going for. They don't understand what the author was going for. They don't understand any of that shit. 
It's um, like, hey, you know, you know what was really good about Starter Troopers? Uh, tits and fights against bugs. That's what we're gonna do. That's what, that's what the audience wanted. Yeah, shoot, <laughs> shooting bugs was the cool part. And I'm like, it, it was nice, but there's a very important part of the movie that you're missing by making any sequel. All I can think about is every time the human, every time the humans in that movie fight the bugs, you watch these humans get destroyed in the most horrific ways, like arms melting off, limbs being severed, them being torn apart, and it's like it's it's not glorifying that. That's horrifying. That's terror. Yeah, <laughs> you should be scared. And uh, d- dude, so then Robocop. Robocop has like three sequels. Yeah, that once once again, fucking, who directed that movie? <laughs> exactly and look what what fucking people do they messed up the message of that movie robocop 2 is one of the stupidest movies i've ever seen and completely unnecessary and the new robocop bad i didn't like it at least um but yeah you know what Seth? I, looked, I looked it up and i can't believe this is actually true i was like i, I was about to make the joke that at least they didn't do a hollow man too they i am wrong <laughs> no Every Paul Verhoeven movie has a stupid sequel for some reason. Christian Except Slater. Christian Slater's this movie. Yep. 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 Jesus yep. Christ, dude! What is wrong with people? I can't think of a movie that didn't need a sequel less than fucking Hollow Man. Yeah, it barely needed to exist. I mean, The Invisible Man is public domain. Just make another one of those. Exactly, and when they did it this year, and it was awesome. Yeah, the one of the best true. movies this year. Not that there's very many movies this year, but still, it was great. I agree. Um, Speaking of movies this year, Seth, do you think? I mean, we we've all, we all know Tenet is whatever. It's over. We're past Tenet now already. Have you ever seen it? You, you, do you know that it's a palindrome? By the way, do you know that? Yeah, the, the trailer Tenet's didn't make it obvious enough that it was a palindrome. Palindrome. So, Seth, the next big movie is Dune. The only movie, in my opinion, That's the true. only movie left that I want to see. What else is ever? there? No, 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 I mean ever. Uh, like, I don't care. I don't care about any other movie but seeing Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Can society just hold on long enough for me to see Dune? Yeah, because if it actually comes out this December, I'm not seeing it in a theater. So I want, eno- I want enough time to pass that it comes out on VOD so I can fucking watch it in my own fucking room. They gotta do VOD starting off, right? Like, come on. I think I don't. I, it didn't happen for Tenant, and Tenant made like fifty million dollars overseas. I feel like they're gonna try. Warner Brothers is gonna try and at least milk out some of that overseas money. Fifty million seems disappointing to me, though. Yeah, but that's, that's without America at all, and and with a lot of countries, like even in countries where they've contained it, people don't want to go to movie theaters because they don't know if it's gonna break out. So that's with people who are still brave enough to go to the theater. Yeah, that's like you know, on, like half of a hundred mil, which is kind of what you you'd shoot for anyway. So, man, just, just, I think there's listen, that. I hate to say this. I really do, but I would pay 30 bucks to watch Dune in, my, in the safety of my own home. I, I would do that in a heartbeat. I don't care. I'll, I'll say this. Um, and I hope this doesn't inspire anyone out there, but I'd pay a hundred. <laughs> I would, I would honestly, if you, if you would let me see that movie, cause I've, I've almost never, never been more hyped for a movie. Like, I was probably more hyped when Star Wars was coming back. And now, in retrospect, that was wasted hype. <laughs> Completely wasted. Shouldn't have even done it. Um, but, dude, man, it's... We finally got a good director. Fucking all-star cast. 
and just everything going for this movie. I mean, Denis Villeneuve is literally like batting a thousand, if that's good. I can't remember if the higher number is good or lower number is good with bat- batting. I have no. That sounds like a perfect. Okay, a perfect so he's batting a thousand. His movies are. I mean, he made Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, and Arrival, which is one of the best modern science fiction movies we've ever had. Original science fiction movies. I mean, still based on some stuff, but still, like, no franchises in the background, like Blade Runner, anything. Just great fucking science fiction movies. And if anyone is going to be able to knock this out of the fucking park, and I guess somehow still keep it along, across the line enough for normal, average general audiences to get this movie... It's got to be him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if there's any director I think could make Dune, it would be him. And I and I love Dune. Yeah, <laughs> I really love that book. And I say this because I liked primarily because I mean I mean I liked Arrival, obviously great movie. But yeah. it was Blade Runner twenty forty nine that sold me on the idea. This guy can make can if he can make a sequel that didn't need to be made to a movie that I thought was a classic. Yeah, we're talking about sequels that don't need to exist to incredibly classic movies. Fuck Starship Troopers and RoboCop. This man made a Blade Blade Runner sequel that honestly no one asked for. And it was one of my all-time favorite movies. There was zero people asking for... People wanted another cut of Blade Runner. They didn't want another sequel. Or a sequel. And he made it, and it was good. So... And fuck the haters. I don't care what you say. 2049 ruled. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, a three-hour movie I would sit down any time to watch. Yeah. Easily. So I think I trust him with making Dune, which I would consider largely to be an unfilmable disaster of a story to try and tell on screen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Lynch tried it. And I mean, some people consider that movie to be like a cult, a cult classic. But, and I mean, whether you like it or not, that movie kind of points out why Dune is hard to put on screen. Jodorowsky tried and failed. Um, well, yeah, he he never got to tr- he never really got to make it, but he yeah he had a lot of plans for it. True. And then Sci-Fi Channel did a mini series that sucked, which is terrible. Um, which their hearts were in the right place, and they actually liked the source material, but they just had no money. Yeah. Like you look at the sandworms and that thing, and you're like. Yeah, this was ma- this was made for you know in somebody's basement probably. Like there's there's nothing going on. When when the sandworms and Beetlejuice look better than the ones in your Dune things, you probably rethink your 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 whole thing. Yeah. So and you know if anybody's listening to this, they haven't read Dune. I very much implore you to do it. I, I mean, I really think. I mean, and I'll go ahead and tell you. And one of the reasons that we're talking about it being unfilmable is because it does not hold your hand. I will say that it is one of the least hand-holdy books I've ever read. And there's two types of books like that. There's books like Dune that don't hold your hand, but if you really, really engage with it and you do, and you actually try to understand it, you will be rewarded, you know, tenfold. And then there, I have read some science fiction books that try to do the whole no handhold thing, and they suck because they're not very interesting. Dune walks that line perfectly. It it does not hold your hand. These days, you can buy a copy of the book that has like a glossary in the back, which it can help if you really want to. But you don't. It didn't have it originally. You don't need the glossary. You can kind of pick up on this stuff as you go. And yeah, it creates a really really important piece of science fiction. And yeah, I agree. My, my favorite science fiction book ever. I don't know if Dune's my favorite, but I mean, it's got to be top three. Like it. At, at, I mean, maybe maybe top two. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And you've read quite a bit more science fiction than I have, but for for me, for sure, I, th- I think Dune is um, a very, very um, rewarding book. And I just reread it pretty recently, like uh, two or three months ago, in preparation for the the movie and the trailer and all that stuff to come out. Um, but yeah, I, I think it. I, I really, really hope it's going to be good. Like I said, they got the cast, they got the director. All they got to do is, I mean, and the, the there's a yeah. cell phone quality. A video of the teaser for the teaser, and it looks kind of dope. I mean, it, it it doesn't. Things don't look the way they do in my head when I read Dune, but I can see how it makes sense for when you're filming it to do it that way. I never pictured Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, but I, I mean, sure. I definitely never picked Jason Momoa as fucking Duncan Idaho. Yeah, or uh, was it Stellan Skarsgård yeah. as Baron Harkonnen? Um, which we get a, a tiny glimpse of in that cell phone video, and I'm like, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm erect right now. Like I'm so fucking excited. Um, but yeah, I think I think that Chalamet is a very very interesting. Pick. But yeah, for me, reading the Dune books, I always try to take it as like. You know, because it's weird science fiction. It's not. It's not boilerplate. It is very weird. So for me, like the, because it's it's all in the in the sand. My the sand in my head is like very very deep orange. Like it is. It's saturated almost the world. Um, it's a bit cleaner in the trailer that we've seen so far. It's more like you know regular like kind of brown grayish sand, which is fine. I think it probably makes a much easier uh, surface to film and to. Create and it's real, which is good. You can go to the Jordan and get all these dunes if you want. Hey, dune. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think those are those are things that make sense for filming and you know stuff like costumes and um, we do see Momoa quickly in that trailer. It's very interesting the way the way they're gonna do Duncan Idaho. But yeah, and Dave Bautista is fucking Gurney Halleck, but he's like blue. Yeah, they um no 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 Ger- is he Gurney Halleck? I thought, no, I think that uh, no, Josh wait, I'm Brolin. Wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Who is he playing? Yeah, he's playing. Dave uh, Batista is playing. Um, fuck. Oh, um, Fade Rotha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right, all right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did I get confused? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's that's also a hell of a choice. But I mean, 2049, right? Which I don't want to spoil the book, but considering that Timothy Chalamet plays Polyphades and he plays Fade Rotha. That means something very interesting is going to happen in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That'll be strange. And I guess, I mean, I don't know. It's like I'm trying to not be so hyped for it. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing this successfully with, with uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I'm not watching any fucking trailers. Yeah. I'm not watching any goddamn videos. I'm reading the articles. When it comes out, I will play the game and appreciate it for what it is and not what I thought it may have been, you know? But for Dune, first of all, I've yeah. read the books. I know what's in, I know what's going to happen, and I'm watching these. I'm watching the trailers a little bit, trying not to like you know read every article, look at every fucking picture. But I just like it's it's one of those things where I, I severely have my hopes up for it. And that was some technical difficulties. We are back just in time for the end of the episode. Seth, is that an episode for you? Yep. All right, well, uh, my name is Smith. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at MCSurf. My name is Seth. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Knazeris, K-Y-N-A-Z-E-R-A-S. 
Anything new on a letterbox, Seth, or still the same thing? Yeah, no, no movies. Still been binge playing Persona Five. Just takes a takes a lot of my time. All right. Uh, let's see here. Our art was done by Marcus Barkley. You can find him on Instagram at Mister Dot Beaches. Our theme song was done by Ben Powell. He's been on the show before, especially on our movie reviews, most recently on our big Last of Us Part 2 review. He has his own podcast called Southern Smackdown, where they both talk about wrestling, and they're from the South. If that sounds interesting, go, if that sounds interesting, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him get under it. Uh, fuck. A Tesla. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we have stopped trying to solve our problems and are trying to outlive them. And from New Orleans to New York, that's the Elenio's podcast, baby. We're out. Out.